when you're targeting the sweet-seeking palates of adults, you are also creating a product that is, by its very nature, going to appeal on some level to children. And welcome to episode 444 of Bruce Week, recorded on... Thursday, the 16th of November, 2023. My name is Matt Kierkegaard, and I'm the editor of Bruce News. And joining me is industry consultant. Well, not I haven't said that for a while. You're, well, what is your role at the IBA? Uh, manager strategic projects is my job manager title. Manager strategic projects. Uh, Sabrina Kunz and uh, no Ian Watson this week. We had to record a little bit earlier, and Ian couldn't get out of the brew house in time. So it's just the two of us. But Oh, a bit bit to discuss uh, this week. Breaking news this morning, um, Hard Solo found to appeal to minors following a lengthy uh, deliberation of, what's that, August, September, October, November. Um, ABAC has ruled that Hard Solo has breached the code in appealing to minors. CUB has responded, advising that Hard Solo will be rebranded Hard Rated. Um, Asahi sparked controversy in August. I should say Asahi owned CUB sparked controversy in August when it launched the alcoholic version of the lemon-flavoured soft drink. While the company said it refuted suggestion that its cross-functional collaboration could be confused with regular solo uh, or that it is being marketed to minors, the product drew criticism from health and anti-alcohol advocates with concerns making their way as far, far as federal parliament where independent MP Kylie Tink hosted talks with federal crossbenchers about tighter regulation for the marketing of alcoholic drinks. ABAC's decision is confined to consideration of the code, uh, but the product itself served to crystallise broader issues around the role that flavour and its appeal plays in the marketing of alcoholic beverages, something that does not come within the purview of the ABAC code. Um, Now, 72 pages of discussion and it's a really you know it's a really comprehensive and interesting discussion that goes back to one of my favorite um talking points is uh you know wine coolers and uh you know the the foundations of vodka cruises back in the 1980s which saw a change um and looking at those um and then also discussing abac's role to look at things like flavor and color and you know appeal of the liquid um to to different things and it was very much confined to the abac code but a very very interesting uh discussion that uh the delay came from they made their decision they communicated it to cub who had the opportunity to respond disagreed and there was a little bit of back and forth but clearly um cub had a alternative strategy because they've already got the um branding and their communications ready to communicate with their partners about hard solo or hard um what is it hard rated hard rated that's right anyway Thoughts, Sabrina? Um, Look, I haven't had time to read the detailed ABAC ruling, which I absolutely intend to read because I think and anyone um, in a marketing role in our industry should read that to really understand how um, the code is applied against against each of the elements. This is a sensible business move for CUB. Um, I have no doubt that subsequent to the hard solo kind of kicking off we've had various other issues in that sort of um health or regulatory environment that have also kicked off um and it felt untenable for CUB to keep this going um but I think 
you, you know, the way that FAIR has responded today, I just jumped onto their website. Yeah, I'm, I'm reading it as well. <laughs> I was just going to read out a couple of the lines there as well, Matt. Well, there's lots of use of sham, um, you know, mates, uh, ABAC, you know, uh, Asahi's mates at ABAC, you know, they're, they're very much not even applauding the the, the decision, um, but saying ABAC is a sham um, despite finding against hard solo. Fundamentally, FAIR doesn't like the liquid, um, and and uh, but, but that's they not also want, They also want um, a fair the foundation for alcohol research also wants not a quasi government but an actual government regulatory marketing board or equivalent that oversees this. So I just want, so my my two points are really I think in fair um, you know they make the comment that said. Um, it was only after months of scrutiny in the media and by parliamentarians that ABAC backflipped and committed, um, confirmed that Asahi had designed a product that appeals directly to children and young people. It should not take a viral media story for ABAC to admit that this multinational alcohol company has breached its own scheme, which is entirely, which is completely voluntary and has no penalties. The fact that company that the company Carlton United is a member of the Brewers Association, a lobby group on the ABAC advisory committee, just shows that this process was fraught from the very beginning. So, again, like looping it to um, the bigger issues, this was an issue around hard solo, but the second it came up, it launched a much wider conversation around um, the regulatory environment for alcohol as a regulated product and specifically appeal to minors. It put major scrutiny on ABAC and the system. And the system has worked in the sense that it should probably not have gotten pre-approval at (laughs) pre-vetting stages, but notwithstanding the apparent appeal to minors has been removed um, and ABAC have sort of given the green light to this move by CUB. But the reason I read out these points from FAIR is earlier today or yesterday, or was it you, Matt? Um, it was you who posted in the Radio Brews News group an image for Milky Lane signature RTD cocktails. And if you haven't seen it, um, everyone jump in the uh, take a look at it. It looks like Bilson's products on steroids, but even the imagery that they've used used to support the can design also looks like it's a child's a drink for children and so your point Matt in saying um in Matt's comment in the Radio Brews News Group was in some ways you have to feel sorry for CUB Hard Solo when I received a media release for this and so my point I guess (laughs) can I tell you what I deleted from that comment um I didn't post it but I just said you have to feel sorry for them and then the, the next step um that I said was because when businesses are pandering to adults with immature palates, they're not actually targeting children. You know, so 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 this idea yeah, that understand. this yeah. is somehow targeting children is just wrong. Like I I I, do, I genuinely, with all my heart, do not believe that you know CB. But as we've discussed before, palates have changed, and adults have increasingly immature that's not a judgment like that's children are attracted to sweetness you know as adults we don't have the same lollies and things like that but there has been scientific study after scientific study that show that palates adult palates have been skewing 
to sweeter for longer based on the way that food processing has shaped our our, our diets. So when you when, when you're creating an adult beverage like Hard Solo or you know um, Monsuda Chuhai, which is a media release I'm reading, or or those products, when you're targeting the sweet seeking palates of adults, you are also creating a product that is by its very nature going to appeal on some level to children, particularly when the graphics around it are designed to show. Yeah. So that so I don't disagree with you with the palate component, but I think there is a way to do that that looks more adult. Uh, of course the, there is. The the point that I wanted to make when we look at this image is that hard solo and the issues that ABAC are pulling out are a systemic problem. And the challenge is that, again, if we want to be a self-regulated industry, and I appreciate that none of this happened within beer itself, um, but we haven't been, you know, our hands aren't clean as an industry. And so... I think um, to the extent that we can strive for our hands to be clean, that is absolutely what we should be doing because um, the uh, anti-alcohol slash health advocates, however you frame that group, um, and I think, Matt, you had used this word, but they've got momentum and they Mm. are going to keep pushing on this. And what what the stupidity in... CUB. And again, I, like, I feel sorry for them in a way because there are, you know, any number and somebody, somebody has even, just while we've been talking, posted on the um, Radio Brews News Facebook group, Four Loco, um, Shane, Shane Westmore in the Radio Brews News group, Four Loco Electric Lemonade, um, which is 16%. Um, four, it's 695 mils um, and it's a can for $22.99. So... This, you know, again, there is any number of lemon flavored um, soft drinks that are identical in flavor, but the stupidity and the ni- and, and, and the arrogance, I'll say, of CUB in putting the alcohol into something that has traditionally been a soft drink that has um, been consumed by all ages, regardless of whether it was designed, you know, it's known and drunk by all ages makes clear the, the the reality that these drinks have, you know, it, when they were vodka cruisers, they tasted the same. A lemon vodka cruiser tasted the same as hard solo. So these are drinks that are designed to appeal to people who aren't drinking for flavor. They aren't drinking for sophistication. They aren't drinking for ritual. They aren't drinking for culture. It is a way of consuming alcohol in a way that you don't taste the alcohol and the flavor is highly appealing and Moorish. Um, now, as adults, we can make the choice to do that. And I don't want to sort of, you know, like that's, I, I have my own views about that. But when you, once the fair and the anti-alcohol discussion became about health, those attributes for a product don't promote healthy consumption of alcohol. So in and I think I said this in the article or I might have deleted it, Um, you know, it's always been a concern that these things are so easy to drink and they're targeted at people who who aren't drinking them for any reason other than the alcohol. But when you've got a vodka cruiser that is nominally an adult product, there was the 
air of, you know, where we can pretend that it's an adult drink. Suddenly CUB has put it into a soft drink and weaponized a soft drink, which shows that this is exactly what we're, what we're targeting. And, you know, that's actually turned the discussion into these products as a product category. And, you know, and we, we, we might see higher taxing, you know, we, we might see higher taxation or, um, you know, I, I don't know how you have a body that decides whether or not these products exist. You can just tax them out of the range of people who want to abuse them. And so, again, you know, if I put my I'm here for category beer um, and we're going to get to your discussion with Peter Filipovich, I hope I said that correctly. Flip. Let's call him Flip. Flip. Um, it feels disrespectful somehow. Flip. I oh, know it does um, to somebody who's, but know, that's, that's what he I, said. I know, but, you know, I I don't want to call him an elder. That feels rude. But do you know what I mean? Like I feel a bit sort of like <laughs> a he's statesman. a statesman. Yeah. Um, okay. So your conversation with him. So he's category beer, I'm category beer, you're category beer. And I look at this as an opportunity for the beer industry, craft beer, big beer, to differentiate ourselves. And I realize it's an adult you- drink. Step up. What 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 is my what is my campaign? You know, okay. when you're ready to drink like an adult. But also, yes, yes, and, and, and as we said, we'll get someone to massage that. But also, quite frankly, from an advocacy and a differentiation point of view, the vast majority of our um, products are lower ABV. Um, our product does it, it explicitly doesn't target uh, immature palates and that which are often associated with um younger audiences. And so we start to be able to craft a narrative around beer as a category that is distinct from other alcohol categories. It does not mean that we won't get swept up in some of these uh, regulatory reforms that are being pushed for, but it certainly gives us a platform to make the case that um that we can be the adult beverage. We are the adult beverage of moderation. And so I, I just, again. I'm just going to read you something on, on that. Um, and this, again, there's a couple of um, uh, scientific papers that talk about sweetness versus bitterness. And, you know, beer is inherently a bitter product and bitterness is a learned flavour that we have to learn. But something that ties all of that together is a Guardian article from 10 years ago, and I'll drop this in the show <laughs> notes, um, but, it, but it, again, it's, it's relevant because um, it's, it's looking at taste and how our tastes change over, over you know, a, as we age. And under the heading, teenagers, aspiration and alcohol pops, older children badly want to do adult stuff and will force themselves to ingest things they hate the taste of, such as beer and coffee. And that there's this selection bias because I've often talked about coffee and that as we get older, we put less sugar in because it's socially less acceptable. Um, we've all been there. We pretend to like them until neuropathways neuro develop in such a way that we genuinely start to enjoy the bitterness and mildly caustic sensations. That said, young people are preferring ever sweeter alcoholic drinks, especially, says Luke Hurst, if their palates have been trained by processed foods targeted to them. And Luke Hurst is the food scientist. Step forward, Alcopops. This is why, says Lake Hurst, cider continues to grow more popular, or in our case now, ginger beer, while lager brewers are desperately seeking to create sweeter products. Um, beer is a product that you have to st- you know, step up to. And I mean, that, that's a, a Guardian article from 10 years ago that synthesizes the sort of research that I've been reading to come to the same conclusion that I, I have. Yeah, look, I think it's all fascinating. And I guess 
often it sounds like when ABAC puts these decisions out and when and when you and I say, guys, the writing's on the wall, watch out for the regulators, we sound a little sort of, um, as my mum would say, sort of nanny state-ish, a better naysayer about it. And so I guess the piece that I want beer to take away from this is I, I think that what I'm seeing is an opportunity for beer to differentiate itself from other alcohol and in that opportunity becomes, may come or has the potential to come other benefits that we haven't currently unlocked to date because previously beer was seen as sort of the drink of you know, it, it was it was um, not covered in glory in terms of the media. And I think as another, um, how should I say this kindly, as another villain emerges, as this RTD thing kicks up again, but with a whole new uh, sort of generation of drinkers, we have the ability to stick to and create and ensure we're consistently delivering a narrative that is positive about beer, that distinguishes it from some of this other shit that's going on. Yep, it's certainly, I agree. Yep. It's certainly harder for CUB, CUB and Line who have a suite of products. It's harder for small breweries. Well, that Lines made- has come out with that raspberry, strawberry, lemonade thing, you know, on Summer Bright Lager, which again is is straight back to that article that I just quoted from, you know, beer is becoming less bitter and sweeter to chase these younger palates and it has been for 20 years. Or it more. has here, but I, like, I mean, again, I don't want to, but I've always enjoyed a shandy, right? That's function- For the same reason, yeah. Functionally, you know, a, a summer bright lager with some stuff in it. In Germany, Radler has been, you know, everywhere forever. The cordial that goes into your... Um, your beers in Berlin have existed forever. Um, that that has always been. But there's a, thing. a culture around those as well. It, um, sure, but we can we have the opportunity to, as a category, to own the space of moderation and to drive that exactly. as our message. Yep. And no, to, no, I agree. And to leverage that when we're doing deals with government on all sorts yep. of things. And so if we all... And that's also why beer has been traditionally been taxed lower. You know, it, 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 you can still have drinking problems with beer, but by and large, it it is a different class of products. Um, so just, I, I, and I, I just wanted to pick up on the, um, the you know, nanny state um, suggestions and things like that. And it is something that we can be criticised, you know, that... that we are often criticised for because a lot of people just think, oh, it's alcohol. Adults should be able to make their own decisions. And a lot of the people who you know read and comment on Radio Brews News or Brews News articles, you know, are, are clearly drinkers and love beer and don't want to have their individual rights trammeled. But when you're immersed in an industry and you're immersed in that mindset, it's very hard to see the counter. Um, And as I always say, alcohol is a special class of product that because of the harm that it can cause, yes, it's got a lot of benefits. And yes, it's something that adults can and should be able to access, in my view. But it's a special class of products that does have potential um, you know downsides, and and I would say to anybody who goes, oh, you nanny state, and you know, you know, it's 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 idiot. Adults should be allowed to choose for themselves. I would ask them how they look at America and gun ownership. So, if you speak to an American, you know a, a lot of Americans 
they think you know they can justify gun ownership is a is a right it's a freedom adults should be able to and, and they don't want any restrictions on it we look at it and think it's absolute madness because we've grown up knowing um, that you know gun regulation is sensible um, and I, I look at alcohol you know it's a very different like it's not a great perfect analogy but alcohol is in one of those class of products that because of the harm that it can do it does need special treatment and sometimes at some level adults need to be saved from themselves but more importantly a culture has to develop around it to encourage and promote mindful use of it so the so the benefits or the you know the, the positive sides of it are are allowed to um, be engaged with whilst the negatives are minimized, you know, through even if it's just through social conditioning and awareness and, and those sorts of things. And and Matt, I don't want to jump ahead, but this is how you and I, our brains work. But um, <laughs> again, again in Go that, for it. No, I think, well, we're, we're 20 minutes in and we're still in the first article. But your interview with Flip, um, I say that with respect, sir. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Filipovic, sir. I, I feel a little bit guilty. Anyway, so Flip... Um, he he made the comment, uh, and I thought this was very instructive and very insightful, that craft beer in the last eight to four years has seen has had many positive impacts. The rise of craft beer, so think about that, small indie breweries, uh, and then the larger ones that that subsequently sold. But craft beer, as we think indie beer, um, has had many positive outcomes, one of which is to see increasing numbers of women in the venue environment where groups of women are participating. And he actually made the point that the venues look quite different from the traditional pub. And so I just circled and then Matt, you went on to have the conversation with him around um, the change that CUB had made over time to the Great Northern um, advertising and marketing campaigns. So, so I guess my point is that beer has continued to evolve and we have been able to bring more people to, you know, the beverage that we all enjoy and we can continue to build on that narrative. And there are clearly ways to do that without having to go down this route that, um, you know, that starts to get us into trouble. And so I just think that continues to reinforce for me that there is a pathway forward for us collectively in terms of the category of beer. There's a whole lot of work to do there, but but there is a path forward, and it doesn't have to look like a fucking creaming soda. Beer the cha- but a- the, and and here is the, the 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 competitive challenge that always happens when you've got a broad based industry of you know, and you've, you've you've got a whole range of new products, you know, whether it's alcoholic seltzers or things like that, who are chasing an audience rather than waiting for it to come to them. And our drinking habits are often set in our, you know, late, you know, underage drinking age, um, which you have to acknowledge happens, or our early legal drinking years. That often sets our palate and our taste for what we will continue to do. And so that is a battleground for businesses. And rather than waiting for the next generations of consumers to come to a category, they are being chased with a whole range of flavor and a whole range of, um, you know, even if it's not directly targeted with marketing, there is a whole lot of dog whistle calls to a younger generation. And so long as that happens, that is going to draw the ire of 
the momentum that we're seeing in, and and, and so it should incidentally, I, I think, because I think, you know, our, our, there are responsibilities around alcohol. Um, and, you know, there, there's a lot of actually things that fair say, apart from the extremeness that comes from an advocacy-based group, the advocacy, as an advocacy group, their job isn't to be balanced and, dare I say, fair. Um their job is to advocate and argue a position, just as the you know other side is, and that's you know it's, it's the way court systems work. You've got a prosecutor and a defence, you know, um, and that's what they're doing. But there is a lot of reasonableness, um, and there's a lot that the alcohol industry needs to look at and be very self-aware of, because there is a there there is a real risk in the current climate that legislation will go well beyond. Um, what is reasonable um, for you know in, in in trying to moderate some of these uh, challenges? Agreed. We can put, prosecute the case for beer, and I think oh, again, and, and you know, anyone listening to this might be very surprised, but I bore myself um, because we've talked about this for years, and I find myself, <laughs> you know, and it's. And, and I do like I, I just bore myself saying this over and over again, and you know, before you know, once you and I. Well, once you and I start talking, I actually forget there's a microphone. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, but, um, sorry, listeners. So, yeah, sorry. Well, it's a fly on the wall stuff, listeners. This is uh, what Sabrina and I, this is how we carry on um, at the best of times. Um, but, you know, I, I bore myself because this has been such a, it, it is a very, very slow moving traffic accident that can be prevented, except there are all of these circumstances that it's not in anyone's interest to do it. Um, now, so anyway, right. um, other news. Something else <laughs> I bore myself to tears with. Uh, Mighty Craft. Um, Mighty Craft gains a managing director but loses a chair. Um, this was <laughs> Mighty Craft shareholders have voted against the re-election of board chair Chris Malcolm at the company's annual general meeting. With Malcolm's last act being the appointment of Katie McNamara as managing director. Malcolm, who in August launched an extraordinary tirade against the company's previous board and the strategy the company was founded on, uh, was only able to secure the votes of 47% of shareholders for re-election, while fellow board members Sean Ebert and Katie McNamara were re-elected with 76 and 72% respectively. <laughs> in, an, in a statement to the ASX, the company noted the results saying Ebert and McNamara are currently evaluating options to appoint an appropriate uh, additional director to fill the casual vacancy. Prior to the annual general meeting, the company had announced that McNamara had been appointed as managing director until June next year at a monthly salary of $32,375 per month. Nice if you can get it. for a, That's almost the complete value of the company. I was um, just about to say, on a company that's... How many one-cent shares uh, <laughs> would, it, would it take to... Uh, anyway, uh, McNamara joined the board in April, just prior to the company's strategic review. She was appointed the, at the same time as industry veteran Trevor O'Hoy, who then announced in August he was resigning from the board, saying he couldn't commit the time required to, I'm going to add, save the company. Um, but he didn't say save. In a deliciously ironic statement announcing McNamara's appointment uh, that was issued the day before the annual general meeting, now former chair Chris Malcolm said he was looking forward to working closely with her. Having now worked closely with Katie for some time, I'm confident in Katie's commercial acumen, experience, skills, and leadership ability will benefit the company, staff, shareholders, and partners. I'm looking forward to working closely with Katie on the next phase of Mighty Craft's business growth. 
that didn't last. That didn't age well, that statement. But anyway, um, but it, and as part of that, uh, there was a little side that anyone who heard um, my chat with Flip um, would know that he led a consortium of people to buy Jetty Road. Um, we don't know what that costs. Some figures that Mighty Craft revealed uh, said $3 million. I wonder whether it might have been south of that. Um uh, for a 500,000 litre uh, brewery with a nice uh, venue. But anyway, uh, they, their divestment program has started and uh, the next, given that they've only appointed Katie for, what, seven months now, um, I su- suspect you know, it'll be interesting to see what the future brings for Mighty Craft. Oh, look, um, talking, didn't you finish the last topic with a slow-moving train wreck? Um, <laughs> and so... Uh, that feels apropos. Um, look, it's hard to watch. It, it, it's hard to watch because of the hope that was enunciated at the beginning of Founders First and because there are so many people trying new business models in beer and I'll leave aside the other products um, to try and make it work and so to watch this to watch something move to the ASX which is supposed to then represent I mean a business that has its shit together and has a strategy and is going to be a business to to watch it go like this is pretty awful I mean um, I wouldn't want to be Katie McNamara for any amount of money, including $32,000 really? a year, a month. Look, if they're looking for a board member, I'm putting my hand up. Um, you know, I don't even need that the, the full whack. Um, what, whatever. They'll just, I mean, creditors will just take your house is the point. Like I, I just wouldn't want this for any, for, for love of money. Um, it's going to be an interesting to see how it turns around. I, actually, you know, I just want to pick up on what you said about, you know, people trying a lot of different things. And, you know, it, it, it's been interesting to follow Mighty Craft because I was very sceptical when I first got the media release. Um, really? That's surprising. Scepticism <laughs> and cynicism is my stock in trade. Um, <laughs> uh, and it should be as a journalist, you know. It's fine. I'm just... Um, anyway, but, so, but then, you know, when they bought, um, they, they bought into Jetty Road and, um, and then, you know, they, they bought some great little breweries. Um, you know, Foghorn, uh, Sean Sherlock, you know, a, a wonderful little brewery. Slipstream in uh, Brisbane, a wonderful little brewery. Ballistic mismatch. Uh, well, a whole lot. But, well, I mean, Ballistic was a bit of a disaster. Um, you know, they have, you know, and, you know, there have been other breweries. Um, but they bought, you know, and, and so you... I went into it going, look, I'll, I'll give them a chance. I've got my doubts. I'll ask them about that and I'll test their thinking, you know, against my doubts and go back and listen to the three or four, you know, really interesting conversations I had with uh, Mark Hazeman. And the first two, you'd ask him questions, he would make a statement. And then by year three, it's kind of like, well, all of these things you said aren't coming true. I've been asking you, how do you scale a small business like Foghorn? Um you know, you've got this massive corporate overhead and it was a massive, massive business head office of highly paid people trying to incubate very, very small 
breweries and take them national. And Jetty Road was a great example. You know, I, I posted a few quotes from um, one of the founders just as saying, you know, they tried to take us national without any support. So you've got a massively overinflated um, head office that is stuffed with hubris about how smart and how e- how smart they are and how easy it was to take these brands national. But then small brands that were never built for the sort of scaling that they wanted, and then they never enunciated a way to scale it. So um, it, it, it's sad, um, and hopefully the, pe- the, the the breweries that are involved find solid pathways out of the business um, because there are some lovely little breweries there making some great beer and the people are wonderful um, and, and, and all of that. But the Mighty Craft model just never seemed to have any prospect of success because of the way that it was structured. Yeah, it's been a slow-moving um, challenge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, moving on. Now, this was an announcement. It's probably something that we didn't do, but it is like it does have an industry-wide repercussions. Sierra Nevada to reduce availability in Australia. Um, and this is from a, a, a media release. It is with deep regret that due to persistently high shipping costs, as well as general cost increases, we have taken the difficult decision to heavily reduce the importation of Sierra Nevada beers into Australia. Beginning late, 20, uh, late December 2023, early 24, the only product that will be available on a full-time basis will be uh, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale Draft Style 355ml cans. All other products will be imported on an ad hoc basis. Part of the review includes a cessation of all Sierra Nevada keg product, including Pale Ale, which will not be available at all. The cost of shipping and returning empty kegs have made it completely unviable to import in any matter. As um, somebody, and I don't quite have it in front of me, um, apologies, uh, said, you know, I can't believe that anybody would be buying that these days. And that that's a very real thing. You know, if you go back 15 years, there were some fantastic beer distributors that um, Inspire um, was one um, that brought in Rogue and McKellar and Nugnia and, you know, really fired what we now know as the modern craft beer industry. But there were no breweries making those beers at the time. Um you know, beer as a rule doesn't travel and anything that isn't an absolute novelty, um, why would you drink it when we have such a, a stockpile of amazing beers here? But it's, yeah, it's a, and Sierra Nevada, which is one of the um, progenitors of the whole craft beer movement, um, you know, it, it, it says a lot about, you know, when we talk about the maturing industry and the maturing market, it says a lot about that. But, but I think it's a good thing, Matt. Like, I, oh, it's I, a, yeah, it's I, a sad I, thing. It's, oh, you know. it, sh- sure. Like, I don't have that. Um, I understand it from an intellectual level that it had this um, impact on the movement uh, in in Australia and New Zealand. But I don't have that personal relationship with it. You're so young. I, <laughs> not, not that young, but um, but I but. But the way that I look at it is is precisely that point that says beer doesn't travel well. We should be drinking the freshest, best beer. We should be encouraging all Australians to drink Australian-made, at least Australian-made beer. My motto is all things being equal, drink the beer from the closest brewery to you, you know, the, the closest independent, independent brewery to you. Um, and, it, and even then, like I go, like at least let it be Australian made, even if it's, you know, the various brands under contract at Coopers or Gage or Tribe or wherever. Drink drink at least Australian made because otherwise you are 
there is no world in which quality isn't going to be affected. So I think if if every country slash region did this, that's great. The flip side, of course, is that um, beer has been and continues to be under pressure, quote unquote, to scale to volumes by exporting, um, including into Asia and other industries. Um, I've had the a fortuitous opportunity to spend a considerable length of time reviewing the transcripts before the Economic Standing Committee into um, productivity, competition, etc. in Australia, um, and they are that that committee is highly focused on um, scale for all Australian products through export, um, and be and our beer, Australian beer, any beer is just never ever going to really do that uh, as a product that ships as a product that ships, not a product that can be contracted. Whenever I see a brewery talking about growing its export business, you know, there, there are one or two examples, like some of the Western Australian breweries who seem yep. to have good pathways into somewhere like Singapore for a whole range of reasons. But, you know, when you see an equity crowdfunding where they're talking about opportunities into China or, you know, sending beers to Europe, and you just kind of, you, it, 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 it's almost an admission of desperation um, because it's never going to, you're never going to build a strong brand. You're never going to do it successfully. You're never going to make a lot of money. Well, again, I mean, I would flag two things, uh, which says, I think there is an opportunity and this is, you know, God, look at me being um, positive today, but I think there's an opportunity and the opportunity is Beer Australia. And let me, you know, step this out for you because I I had this conversation recently in which I was like look there are ways that if we went under the banner of this is what makes beer from Australia and beer in Australia and Australian beer so unique and special and we showcase that as a collective several small brands together big brands small brands and we created a brand that made Australian beer not Foster's Australian beer really desirable, that it showcased our leading products, of which malt we know is one of the largest exports into Asia. Um, And so, but we don't have that yet. So the hook then becomes for each individual brewery to make the argument that says, well, why would you want my product? And again, I'm not talking about taking on the world, but I do think that if we don't even have that positioning, that really clear statement about why is Australian beer best, it it doesn't clear the pathway. And structurally, which is, um, I don't want to speak for Kylie Lethbridge, but Kylie Lethbridge's point around the fact that we don't have a home in the federal government, it means that whenever the government is investing in programs that would support export, Beer is not even sort of on the list because we don't get or or marketing or any of those things. We don't have a home and therefore none of the sort of strategy and programming comes in to support that. So you've got little breweries having to develop relationships with the right person to get in front of the right trade event. And so I do think that there is an opportunity. Is it always going to be shipping beer that is produced in Australia offshore? Probably not. Does it include some opportunity for the broader supply chain, including our malt and our raw ingredients uh, and possibly um, contract brewed in in market? Possibly. But we don't really know because we haven't had all of those structural supports as an industry to move that way. And, and to be fair, the larger brewers 
haven't needed the scale of exporting Australian beer because their other brand, they're, they're foreign owned anyway and their other brands exist in those markets and they make such great margin in Australia. So it is in fact only the smaller, and I say that even just, you know, Coopers down, that need to look at these foreign markets as a place to get scale or even to gain brand prevalence and following. So I just think there is an opportunity. We're still several years away, um, but like let Let's crack into it. Let's get it. I think we can. Not bad to get to there from uh, Sierra Nevada, no longer available in Australia. <laughs> well done. Uh, <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> now, if you wanted to sell your beer overseas or even locally, you know, one of the best ways to do that is to have a brand that stands out and a can that stands out in hand. And the people that can help you do that are rallings, labels, stickers, and packaging. As they say, beers are regarded as the new mini billboard in the beverage industry. They say a lot as an advertisement and you can hold it in your hand. The label is a genuine conversation starter. And these guys can help you to get that right. They can help you get it right at the right price and at the right time. So reach out to the guys at Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging on 1300 852 235 or email sales at rallingsprint.com.au to see how they can help you make your brand sing. Um, in other news, there's a few things around. There was, um, after covering last week that uh, Bad Shepherd was out of uh, voluntary administration, um, Running With Thieves uh, has apparently had creditors accept a deed of company arrangement. Now, I haven't covered that yet. Um, when I looked at the initial administration documents, there was some interesting financial moves made prior to the business going into administration that I didn't fully understand and I couldn't reach anybody to explain them to me. Um, and I've just uh, seen that there's about 300 pages of administrators' reports uh, that may explain that further. So I'm going to read that. Um, it, yeah, it, 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 I, th- I felt that it was important to... Uh, read those things before sort of celebrating, you know, and, and something that may or may not have more complexities to it than we know. Hopefully that's not too beating around the bush um, or sort of circuit. But, yeah, I, I, there may be a little bit more to that one and I need to find out. Um, you've put down Beer as a Conversation, Peter Filipovich. Um, Sabrina? Yeah, so I think um, I just wanted to flag as well, of course, we've got the um, – reported in the AFR that Mountain Culture have a valuation, a valuation, I've put it in, in inverted commas, of $70 million and intend to crowdfund. So that's, um, you know, this time, so I just flagged Now, again, that. another story that, that I haven't done, um, it's been picked up by the, it was written in the AFR. I did reach out to DJ thinking that it was an interesting story. I, again, I haven't. He hasn't said anything, um, but it sounds like a. I, I, I still don't know that they're actively soliciting. It sounds like uh, there may have been a balloon um, floated uh, for possible investment, um, and I, I always get sent. You know, not always. I often get sent these things, as I'm sure financial journalists do, even though the non-disclosure agreements are often signed to to get them in the first place. People love to know that they're in. So, um, yeah, this one, that is all up in the air. But the, the the content and the valuation is certainly would seem to be from a document that was prepared by a financial advisor, but whether or not anything is coming of that. But $70 million was the figure. And do we know what the 
the approximate volumes of um, annual production guesstimate of um, um, I mean, we, we... my guesstimate would be that they're about twice the size of filter um, in terms of volumes um, they've again they're a business they're an interesting business uh, and I spoke to them they've after the hottest one hundred this a year second second brew house right a second brew kit so well, just and, and and this this is the really interesting they have they started during covid as a small little brew pub um that went went really well they have rap expanded very very rapidly um when you look at the documents that have when, when i last looked at the documents that are filed with asic um it, it's the um, DJ and Harriet are the owners, are the only listed shareholders, um, which suggests that they don't have, you know, other people um, who have invested in the business that have funded that growth, which means that it's either personal um, money or, uh, you know, debt finance. Um, but when you look at the trajectories of you know breweries like Bolter or Pirate Life or other breweries that have scaled very very quickly, it's a capital intensive business and cash flow doesn't always cut that expansion. And so they've invested very heavily in 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 some significant expansion with high quality equipment. So they're putting their valuation according to a report in newsforthefoodlover.com um, mm-hmm. from February 2023 at 8 million litres. They're, they're doing 8 million now. Yep, but that's their um, mountain culture has experienced rapid growth thanks to unrelenting demand. Production capacity has increased in just three years from well, 60,000 litres to now. That's production to, capacity, uh, not sure. actual production, yep. And so, sorry, yes. So um, presumably they're raising to get to the point where they are producing those volumes, right? You know. Well, and, and look, we don't know. They're a private company. They have an equity crowd funded. We've got no um, visibility on their on their finances. So anything that I'm observing now comes from having spoken to breweries that have expanded rapidly. Um, and you know, even when when we spoke to Bolter at the time of the CUB sale, that was one of the rapid, the, the, the fastest growing, commercially yeah. successful breweries in the country and I think they were four million litres at that stage and mm-hmm. from the day they opened they had constantly been increasing capacity and had had weeks when they were finding it very very hard to make payroll because the money in never yeah, equals the capital in, 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 in yeah. you know, expenditure um, to do it and I, so, so I, I would imagine mountain culture is in that sort of um, range highly successful, but cash flow. Yeah. So if we say their production capacity, um, so I think Peter f- said that Jetty Road was at five hundred thousand liters. So if we assume that um, Mountain Colt, which just sold, so it's our most recent sale of a craft beer business. I actual sale as opposed actual, to actual sale as opposed to a future theoretical sale. Berries in the garden. This is what I say my business is worth. Bearing in mind that you and I both know various people who want to sell for certain levels and can't sell. Um, so $3 million, 500,000 um, litre annual uh, capacity, $3 million. Um, if it's 16 times that, assuming they're at their maximum capacity of eight million litres, 
that's four, 16 times 3 is 48, 48 million. So that is well shy of 70. And so I'm going, even if you tack on 10. I'm not even sure that you can do that multiple, but it's because there also has to be a buyer. But that's what I mean. So I'm just going like, even if, Matt, I'm doing various scenarios of how you come to a valuation that says in the Australian market, there is a buyer at that level for this brewery, given the only actual factual sale that we have of an intact brewery and brand in the last 12 months. Now, people are going to say Jetty Road was a fire sale, Mighty Craft had to get rid of it because they've got all of these other issues. Sure, you can discount and and add on top for mountain cultures. Excellent. This is not taking anything away from their absolute trajectory that they've had, the way that they've been going about, the fact that they are increasing. But those numbers that people keep banding around that our breweries are worth, these these factors of of tens of millions of dollars is not proving what people who want to exit the market today can get for their brewery. So it is not market value of their brewery and their brand today. And that is all of it. Like that's that's just so people because, and the reason I say this is that next week uh, the IBA are running a webinar that I'm asking the questions on and it has come about as a result of a member survey in which people are starting to talk about how tricky it is, how much they want to think about exiting, merging, what can they do to save their business, should they survive, should they close up shop. And again, you, you have these real-life questions that are out there being contrasted with these absolutely extraordinary valuations and it gives people who might be struggling going, what the fuck am I doing wrong? Why Why am I so, why is my accountant telling me that I can't sell my brewery for $5 million when these guys think that their brewery is worth $56 million, $70 million, whatever the number is, and, and there is a massive gap there. And so the reason I've done these calculations out loud and walked through this rationale is to say, yes, there is a major gap between what a lot of people are feeling and what some of these numbers that are going around are saying, and it's okay to question why that is so. It doesn't take away from the from how great mountain culture is doing. That is not that is not. Oh, no, no. What well, I'm and, and again, mountain culture yeah. success. Mountain culture now. Back in 2018, when there were significant buyers in the market, um, totally different. I, I would story. probably have a slightly different view. At the same time, you know, equity crowdfunding. My views are very well known, but if you know, if and well, I think how many, ever many people it was who uh, invested in Filter two thousand, two thousand people found the value at fifty million dollars reasonable. Who am I to argue with them? Yep. Um, you know, I hope I hope that they don't expect to get a return um, because I don't think they ever will um, at that valuation. But more importantly, I hope that Filter actually delivers the promises that they made unlike so many of the uh, people who raise valuations promising you're going to be part of the family and then treat their uh, shareholders with contempt afterwards but that's a whole other thing we've and uh, i hope mountain culture get the raise that they need be it through crowdfunding or some if other they are raising we, we still don't know because i've invited it, um dj on to talk about it and he says well we're not actually raising so, uh, yeah, we'll, so, we'll, we'll so 
so I guess that was my point. If they are crowdfund raise or this article prompts potential investors, private investors to come out, I hope that they get the capital that they need to continue on their business plan and their strategy because it's working for them. Regardless so, of valuation, great little business yeah, who are exactly. doing great things, creating a lot of excitement um, you know, wish them well. Um, Brewery of the Week, Sabrina, actually, um, Peter Filipovich, very, very interesting. I'd, I'd long wanted to speak to Peter oh, Filipovich yeah. um, on the podcast um, when he was CEO of – so I got to mind some of his – um, thoughts on the, the the brewing industry, but without speaking formally uh, as CB, and um, I, I loved it. I thought it was a great chat. This is a must listen for small breweries who are thinking about their strategy when taking on on premise sales. It's a must listen. Um, I took multiple things away again because I listened to. I have been reading in detail the transcripts from the um, Economic Standing Committee and I contrast Peter's openness with the um, CEO or Managing Director of CUB who uh, who was not open and, frankly, quite combative in the way that they responded to the committee. Um, but I make the following observations that Jetty Road, that he said that Jetty Road intend to complement the uh, tied taps to one of the majors not to go after those and intend to try to increase their value amongst what he called discretionary taps so um you know if i was in if i was one of the breweries in in the mornington peninsula i would or or had contract there i would be seeing jetty road coming i thought given his history with cub i understand that but i think that really um shows uh, just how challenging um, that issue of available taps is. And I've been spending some time looking in that issue in detail as well. The second observation I would make um, is that the Economic Standing Committee concluded um, and was reported in the AFR, and I've read the information myself, that CUB and Lion enjoy margins in the realm of 40%. They enjoy margins in the realm of 40% on the beer they make. Now, if you are a small brewery... Is that profit margins, though, or is that retail margin or you know, wholesale margins from which their profit has to come? They, I'd be very surprised if they're making pro- profit margins of 40%. Um, uh, look, nobody would not... CUB in line would not confirm or deny or go into any detail, but the committee just kept talking about your margins have got to be about it. Yeah, and I actually think that the committee member who did that was was misunderstanding profit and margin. Possibly, although I make this observation, and this is why I think it's interesting, um, Flip said that uh, he couldn't believe uh, the COGS, the cost of goods sold at Jetty Road. He had to do yes. a double take. Yeah. Um, in speaking to folks recently, we understand, I am given to understand that Lion and CUB can make most of their beers for cost of goods sold at about a third of what um, smaller breweries can, and even by that I mean the larger small, larger indie breweries. Um, and he said, Flip said, there has been a 20% price increase and a 20% uh, cost of goods increase and most people don't have the fat profit margins to absorb that. Now, I look at that and go, if you've got a 40% margin and you've got 20% and you can absorb 20% price increases by, uh, sorry, decreasing the price of your product 
and increasing cost of goods sold. You I had don't a- think Lyons uh, and uh, Lyons, Kieran's annual report or quarterly report recently talked about how Lyon had put up its prices in order to absorb those costs. So, I, I, yeah, I, I'm not sure that um, your maths is quite working out there, but no doubt li- listeners will... Um, so, so this is what he said, right? So this is yep. like, and he's, again, everybody's talking in generalities because nobody wants to line item these things out. But I guess the point that I would make is that the big breweries can absorb a lot of the economic pain that is being felt mm. right now. And they have been able to do that by maintaining their super powerful position in our market, along with the significant margins, however you cut it, uh, in in beer in Australia. And so when we're thinking about that going forward, um, that is why there is always going to be this dichotomy between the investment that can be made by those big breweries, both in the category of beer and in their products themselves, and where little breweries are individually. So I actually just thought his comments were extremely consistent with the um, information that was going to the standing committee. So just uh, Brewery of the Week, yes, we, we flagged it this week, so it's not going to – spoiler alert, it was discussed last week, but you are in Cairns recently. We've, I think this has been a previous Brewery of the Week as well, um, but it's always good when we double up when someone else has an experience with it. And Brewery of the Week is brought to you by Bluestone Yeast, who can supply pitches of yeast from 1 litre to 100 litres at greater than 2 billion cells per milliliter. You've heard this before. I'm just going to say Derek is a great guy, very focused on customer service. He knows what you want to need. And if you want to find out about yeast, if you've got questions about yeast, give him a call and he can explain what, how Bluestone Yeast can help you with fresh yeast um, and also why fresh yeast is the shiz, as the kids say. Call him on 03 8518 3172 uh, or info at bluestoneyeast.com.au and he will answer all of your yeasty needs. Brewery of the Week, Sabrina? Um, yes, I had the fortune of going to Cairns last weekend, maybe. Can't even remember. Um, you, and you have to say Cairns because when you talk about having a beer in Cairns, oh, Cairns. it means something different from having a beer I, in Cairns. I yes. went to Cairns with an R. Um, I went to Cairns and I had, you know, everybody jump on a plane, go up. I spent the weekend, cost me a bit of money, but I went out. I was uh, on the reef, um, on a big boat, hanging out with tourists looking at the ocean, doing the ridiculously slow train. I did all the tourist things. And um, I went two afternoons and and had a drink at Hemingway's. And I, I just, it was such a lovely experience for two two reasons. One, I'd always known it was up there. Um, and it really, North Queensland feels so far away. To put it in context, the flight time from Brisbane to Cairns is the same as Brisbane to Melbourne. So it really is sort of getting across the country, which I felt was important because of some of the styles that Heming- Hemingway's had on offer. So they had the Whitbeer, as I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, but they had half the brewery. It, it overlooks uh, the inlet there at Cairns. It's beautiful. It looks industrial, but it's um, it had people of all walks of life, as we could imagine. But I took a lovely photo as I walked in with a lady who wanted to share a table with me who was in a wheelchair. And she sort of pulled over to the side where you could kind of, you're in the brewery, it's closed off, but you could overlook the inlet. And she was having a beer by herself. Uh, and I just sort of had a chat to her and she's like, best spot, best spot in Cairns. So she was a local. It was her local. It was accessible. There was everybody there. There was a broad range of beers on tap. 
Um, there was food offerings. It was closed off for an event. So it's it's clearly used well by the local community who live there, not just by tourists, which is why I liked the vibe so much. Um, and so if you're going to travel, do it. Um, it's a great place for a post-reef beer um, and loved it. Loved everything about it. Um, we'll travel for beer. We're very quickly going to move on to Mailbag. Um, Mailbag, which is brought to you by Beer Fans. Uh, Beer Fans creates new fans for your brand. Start selling outside of the same pool of consumers. Increase the size of your pie. It's free to feature your beer or merch on the website, with Beer Fans being rewarded only once a new fan is secured for your brand. And now if you're looking at buying beer, jump on Beer Fans as well, not just if you own a, a brewery because they are selling beer and they have a guarantee, money-back guarantee if you don't like the beer. So if you want to get your products listed and you want to get your beer sold, jump on join at beerfans.shop or click on the link in the show notes to start your seven-minute onboarding process. Now I've got, I mean, two minds about this. Uh, I want to thank Peter Bradley, the head brewer and operations director of the Suburban Brew for sending through this letter. We talked a little bit about wine and alcohol and marketing and uh, he, uh, the wine magazine that we uh, quoted recently from about um, health, he, there's a, Dr. Philip Norrie, the wine doctor, contacted the magazine this week about the issue of health, um, talking about the the benefits of Revesterol um, in wine, and he's made his own Revesterol enhanced wine. Um, it's an antioxidant in grape skins. This has been part of the myth and the furphy around wine that because it's got Revesterol, it'll save you. If you're drinking anything with alcohol in at the volumes, you're going to get the benefit of any of the trace nutrients or, bene- or, or micro things in it. You're going to need a liver transplant before you actually get any um, functional benefits. So you know, let's let's just stop being silly. Um, the interesting thing was I shared it with Ian, um, and Ian had said he tried. And so, sorry, this this wine doctor um, has made a Revesterol enhanced wine, um, and it whereas most wines have three to six milligrams, his has a hundred milligrams of Revesterol, thus making it the world's healthiest wine. He says. Uh, I'm trying to find someone to help market it overseas to no avail. So unfortunately, this sounds like a very self-interested promotional um, thing. But as Ian said, I've tried his wine. It's terrible. Revesterol is a polyphenol, sometimes found, something found in abundance in many modern beers with the same antioxidant effect. Not surprised the wine industry ignores him. So anyway, I wanted to just uh, thank uh, Peter Bradley um, by reading that out um, because it was a nice little pickup. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not holding my breath for the future of this wine. Um, Sabrina, you've got two minutes till you need to be at your next thing, which is why I'm speaking quicker than normally. Uh, great chat. Good to see you. Thank good you for you. your insights. I look forward to uh, wine. I was like, you fight the good fight on the better for you guys. We've got our own problems all over here in beer. You take that wine and run with it, wine. Drink less, drink better. Don't tell yourself it's good for you. Drink it for the pleasure that it brings. Um, and that wraps up another week of news. Your hosts have been me, Matt Kirkegaard, and Sabrina Kunz. The show is produced and edited by Joanne Helder, who does an amazing job of fixing up all of the problems that we cause each week. We thank Cry Malt, Rowling's Label Stickers and Packaging, Bluestone Yeast and Beer Fans for their support in making this episode possible. We'll be back next week with another Beer as a Conversation and another discussion about all things news. See you, Matt. See you, Sabrina. <laughs>